Well, good morning, Mount Helena Community Church. How many of you were happy when you got up this morning and looked outside and saw that rain? Oh, wow, way more of you than I was expecting. Maybe you're, maybe, you know, if you're there with your significant other, with your spouse, and, and uh, Janie gets up and she walks down the hallway and she looks out the window and she goes, ah, it's so dreary out. And I go, no, it's peaceful. Yes. Personality difference right there. Now, aren't you thankful that we have the freedom to worship like this today? When we stop and you take a minute to consider lots of our brothers and sisters all over the world who don't have the freedom to gather and uh, worship as they choose. And so we're, we're blessed because of that and, and thankful. And then, of course, when we talk about freedom, we also talk about the freedom that Christ has given us. Freedom from sin. Freedom from bondage to decay. And so we're thankful this weekend as we celebrate. If you're a guest with us this morning, my name is J.R. Quigley. Uh, I'm the senior leader here at Mount Helena, so I appreciate you choosing to join us today. One thing about uh, being the pastor of a church uh, and waking up on Sunday morning and seeing the rain, it means that more of you are going to show up at church and not be out at the lake. Fourth of July weekend is traditionally one of the poor, most poorly attended Sundays around here, and so that was my motivation when I saw that rain. I'm like, good, more people are going to come to church. I'm sure there, there are those of you who are online watching too. We have quite a number of people who tune in when they can't be here or have other restrictions that prevent them from being here and they tune in online. And so appreciate you joining us this morning as well. If you are a guest, again, glad that you joined us. We do have a welcome packet for you if you're interested. It's out there at the Welcome Center. You can pick that up. It tells you a little bit about who we are as a church and who this group of people you chose to hang out with today, what they're about. And, and hopefully you will hear some of our heart today in worship and the message as well. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we come before you today thankful. Lord, as we reflect on um, the nation we live in, Lord, where you placed us, and we're grateful for that. We're grateful that we have freedom, Lord, and God, help us not to take it for granted. God, but to take advantage of the opportunity we have with the freedoms that we have. And God, we, we pray for our country, Lord, uh, with so much turmoil and division and chaos and lots of anger and hatred going on. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be working in all of your children. Lord, bringing in a, a message of hope, a message of grace and love, a message of peace, a message of truth. God, we pray for this country, Lord, that you would be leading us. And God, we, um, we ask this morning that as we look at your, your scriptures, the word that you gave us, and consider who we are in your kingdom, and what our job is, what our mission is. Lord, I pray that you would be speaking, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, Holy Spirit, that you would be speaking to each heart and mind here today. Lord, that as your scripture goes forward, we know that it's powerful, that it's effective, that it, it does work on us, even though we can't see it. And don't always necessarily recognize that we know that when the truth of the scripture comes into our soul, it does something. And I pray today that as your scripture goes forth and we talk about these different things, God, that you would be working on each person's heart, wherever they're at. Lord, whether somebody's here today that doesn't really trust you or isn't sure about who you are and is just curious, to the person that has been a believer for 50 years, Lord, that you would be working on each one of our hearts today as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last week I 
started off by asking you a question. And it was, what are you asking? What are you asking God for? And we talked about how it's so important that we are constantly bringing our needs before God and that you are authorized to do so as a child of God. And how important and valuable that is to get into the foundation of our lives. Well, I have a different question for you today. As you can see, is my clicker there? Can I have that, please? Thank you very much. I have a different question for you today. And it's this, who are you talking to? Who are you talking to? And what do, I, what do I mean by that? Well, I mean, there's a number of different things we could talk about in regards to asking ourselves the question, who are we talking to? Like, who are we talking to that's influencing us in a positive way? Or who are we talking to when we're praying or talking to God? But what I want to focus in on on this question about who are you talking to is, who are the non-believers, the, the people in your life that need hope, that need life, that need a message of grace and forgiveness? Who are the people in your life that you are ministering to? Who are the people that you're talking to? And so we're going to dive into that today. In Acts chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, it says, But you will receive power. We've been examining this scripture from different angles. It's come up quite a bit recently in my messages and in some of the other messages that you've heard. But we're going to look at it a little bit differently today. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Great, God's empowered us. We spent weeks and weeks talking about being empowered by God, that we have a mission where God has given us power. And you will be my witnesses. That's the word I want to focus on here to get us started this morning is witnesses. God has called us to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When Jesus spoke this 2,000 years ago and talking about the ends of the earth, guess who he had in mind today? We, we, right in Montana, we're at the ends of the earth from where Jerusalem is, right? One of the last places on earth to be discovered. We're at the ends of the earth now. That mission is starting to come to a culmination that began all those years ago. And it's been the people of God, His children, Christians, little Christs, that have gone out into the world and as witnesses of His resurrection, bringing this good news, this gospel, this transformational power into the world so that the world will change and learn about Him and come into contact and relationship with Him. We are His witnesses. And after he said this, they watched as he was taken up and a cloud hid him from their sight. Jesus ascended. He he died on the cross. He shed his blood as the ransom for our sin. He he took our place for what we deserved. And so for those of us that accept that, we, we have forgiveness and eternal life in Christ. Well, then he was resurrected as a forerunner for you and I, so you and I also will be resurrected someday. And then he ascended into heaven. And someday you and I also will ascend and be with him. But for now, we are his witnesses. What does it mean to be a witness? These guys, these apostles that were right there with him, they were literally witnesses. They saw what happened. They saw him die. They saw the resurrected Christ. They saw him ascend into heaven. So they were very literally kind of like legal witnesses of this amazing event that took place. Because it's one of the things that if you understand what apologetics is or looking at... um, Uh, logical or rational arguments for the cause of Christ, the fact that there were hundreds of people that saw the resurrected Christ gave it so much validity and so much um, 
authenticity or authorization because there were so many witnesses that saw it at the time. And you, are, you and I are witnesses today in that we testify to, we believe this gospel. We believe that Jesus did this for us, and we are witnesses of that in the world around us. Have you ever been a witness on the stand before? You ever had to sit up there next to the judge and testify? Testify is a Bible word. We testify about the goodness of God. We're telling our story. We're telling what we saw or what we experienced and what we believe to be true. We are bringing, we are testifying to who Jesus is to the world around us. I wonder, who are we talking to? If we've been given this mission to talk to the world... Who are we talking to? How are we going about doing that? Are we accomplishing that mission? You see behind me our mission statement, building community and living the mission. Jesus gave us a mission here in Acts chapter 1 when he left. Be my witnesses. And so sometimes we have to stop and go, am I doing my job? Am I being a witness? In what way? There's lots of ways to do that. And hopefully we will unpack some of those today to encourage ourselves. It can, be a, it can be difficult to be a witness. It's stressful sometimes to come under the challenges of examination and things like that. But we are his witnesses. Mark chapter 16, verse 1. And he said to them, this is Jesus again, go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So at, at the apex, at the pinnacle, the, the pivotal thing that our message rests on is the gospel. What is gospel? Good news. Our news is good news. And everything pivots on that. And we're to proclaim it. Now when we think of the word proclamation, you might think a little bit about what I'm doing right now. I'm proclaiming. I'm standing in front of a group of people and I'm talking about it. Yes, I'm proclaiming there is good news. I'm reading these scriptures to you. I'm I'm proclaiming it. But just in a one-on-one conversation, you proclaim as well. You're bringing that proclamation of the gospel into people's lives. And we all do it differently. We all have different personalities. We all have different connections. We all have different gifting. And so through those things, God brings his witness to the world, to the people around us, that we could witness to them. Now, some of you are getting nervous, like, oh, you're going to make me want to talk to people, that I have to talk to people. Great. Some of the introverts are in the room like, I don't want to talk to people. Because it, it can be intimidating, and it can be scary. And all of a sudden, we're living in a climate where it's so polarized and angry that to even express an opinion is scary. Because you don't know what you're going to get. You're about to get punched in the face by somebody else. And so we just want to kind of keep quiet. Ugh. It's hard to bear witness. So what does the scripture have to say about it? How do we be wise about it? I want to, unfortunately, I, I'm reviewing my notes this morning before I'm getting up here, and I'm thinking, ooh, this might be a little negative today. I, I, hope, I, I hope people don't walk out of here today with this real negative vibe, and so I'm going to try real hard not to do that, but I am looking at some very negative things. Because when it comes to being witnesses of the gospel, we are faced with the perceptions, the misunderstandings, the bad experiences of people who are not Christians. We're facing very difficult obstacles to overcome. And I want to talk about some of those today and maybe see if we can't draw some things out of the scripture as well to encourage us. I want to talk to you. I, I, there's some research. One of the um, 
research type guys. His name is Tom Rayner, and he's got a, a long pedigree of this kind of thing. But um, I was reading one of his articles and, and some of the research that they do, and he comes up with seven things that are most common responses that people, non-Christians have to Christians. And we're going to look at uh, some of those and talk about them this morning. Because it's so important that you and I have to understand what we're facing. We have to understand the perception and perspective of others about us. How many of you like being misunderstood? It's terribly un- uncomfortable when someone, go- when someone doesn't understand us. We feel it all the time. We want to be understood. We strive to be understood. Well, as Christians, we also want to be understood. We want people to hear what we have to say. And I wonder, do we have good news? Yes. Come on. We have good news. But a lot of the world is looking at Christianity and going, I don't see good news. Why? Why aren't they? One of the, the number one response that Tom Rainer says they got in all of their research from non-Christians. We're going to look at a couple different studies today. But the number one response they get is Christians are against more things than they're for. There's a perception that the world has of Christians. Now, we just have to talk about this for a second. Perceptions aren't always true. Perceptions aren't always right. And sometimes you can look at the other person and say, well, you're just wrong. But that doesn't work. We want to overcome the perception. Perception is people's reality. Okay, you're, you're looking at me from where you're sitting and you perceive something about me. Some of you know me better than others know me. You perceive me a certain way. That's your reality about who I am. I would like that to improve, particularly if it's bad. <laughs> and the same is true for people in the world. We can blame other people for their perception, but that isn't going to be a sufficient answer to God. We have to overcome the perceptions. And not in a fake way, but in an authentic way. I'll, I'll, get on, I'll talk about that in a minute. Christians are against more things than they're for. And then he quotes one of the people that he was interviewing. It just seems to me that Christians are mad at the world and mad at each other. They're so negative that they seem unhappy. I have no desire to be like them and stay upset all the time. Ouch. And why does that hurt? Well, it hurts because on one hand, that's not true. And then on the other hand, actually it is. Because we're mad. We're angry. We're fired up. Whatever reasons it is, it might be you know, big political spectrum thing, or it might just be a conflict you have in the workspace. What are we demonstrating to the world around us by our communication? Are we being witnesses? I want to look at a couple passages of Scripture. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. This is loaded. First of all, honor Christ the Lord as holy. He is holy. We talked about last week how sobering it should be that we come in the name of Jesus. Right? It's a significant responsibility and position to put ourselves in. Honor Christ as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense. Now we hit that word defense, and we think of words like defensive. Oh yeah, I'm, being, I'm defending the gospel. 
I don't think that's what, what he's saying. He's talking about for hope. Give a reason for your hope. How many people are asking us about our hope? Why do you have hope? Why do you have joy? Why do you care? I see that are people seeing hope in Christian lives? And this is what he's saying, give it a defense for. Because I can make an argument from a worldly point of view that it's hopeless. It is hopeless out there. Or can I make an argument for hope? I can with Christ. There is no other hope. There is no other way. There is no other gospel. There is no other good news. You can have everything you wish for in this life, but if you don't have the gospel, there is no hope. Can we give a defense for our hope? And and here's the key. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Our Christians, by and large, you know, we can't answer for everybody all over the world. And so I will use that term very generally. But what we have to do is look in our own context. You as an individual, you as a family, us as a church, are we doing it with gentleness and respect? Are we able to talk about our faith, what we believe, and why we believe it with gentleness and respect? That's a challenge. That's hard to do. And so sometimes you kind of got to take, take the pulse of your own Christianity and go, am I lining up with the biblical standards for how to do this? How to reach people? How to talk to them? Who are you talking to? Are you talking to anybody? Or have you been intimidated into not saying anything at all? Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Who are outsiders? People who don't believe yet. People who haven't accepted the message of Christ. Walk in wisdom towards them, making the best use of the time. Am I making the best use of the opportunities and the time that I have to bring this good news into people's lives? Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Both Paul writing writing in the letter to the Colossians and Peter writing in his letter is encouraging us about being gracious, about being gentle, about being respectful. Are we gentle and respectful? Are we gracious? When we do, we're emulating Christ. His character, His nature, His attitude, the way He would deal with things. I almost want to bring back the what would Jesus do bracelets, you know? Because we have to stop and consider that a little bit. Or are we just emulating worldly concept for worldly concept? Exchanging hatred for hatred, anger for anger, unforgiveness with unforgiveness, bitterness with bitterness. That's not what Christ did, and we are little Christs. We're Christians. That's what that means. And so we follow in his example and footsteps, being gracious and knowing how to answer. How do we do that? Oh man, it's challenging, isn't it? It's sad that people have these perceptions of Christianity. Because for you and for me, it's been such a life-giving, light, hope, purpose, healing thing for me. And for other people to look at it and not see that is sad to me. I want to change that. I want to get better at that. How do I do that? I would like to develop, this was the second most common response he got in general. I would like to develop a friendship with a Christian. This is, what, this is a response Tom Rayner got in his research. Second largest one. Is anyone surprised? I was shocked. 
First of all, I, I, do, I, I, don't, uh, I don't see any hope with Christians. I don't want that lifestyle. But then the second greatest response was, I would like to develop a friendship with a Christian. Are you able to develop a friendship with a non-Christian? Can you do it? Or are you so ingrained and stuck and cemented in opinions and judgments that you can't engage with someone who's not a believer? Whoa. I'm encouraged by this. Here's the quote he he put with it. I'm really interested in what they believe and how they carry out their beliefs. I wish I could find a Christian that would be willing to spend some time with me. This is the second most common response from non-Christians in their in their research. People are hungry. They want real. They want hope. Guess who has it? You and I, do we have a right to withhold that from people that want it? Because we're stuck in our ways? Oh, who are you talking to? Whew! Yeah! That gives me hope right there! Come on, I want to meet some of these people. I want to have some coffee with them. But you know what we do is we're like, we're scared. They're going to argue with me. They're going to have opinions and I'm going to have to answer all these deep and complicated questions. No, listen. It all begins with relationship. Credibility, trust is built over time. You don't have to solve all the world's problems the first time you sit down and have coffee with somebody. And sometimes it's okay to say, you know, I don't really know. Take your time getting to know someone who's not Christian. Here's another quote, or the the third thing. I would like to learn the Bible about the Bible from a Christian. Again, shocking. People want to know. But they're probably scared of you a little bit, just like you're scared of them. Come on, let's think about this realistically. People want to learn about the Bible. They want to learn about it from you. And I wonder, can we teach about the Bible? Sure you can. You don't have to, you don't have to be me to do that. You don't have to be clergy. You don't have to be a preacher. Shoot, I give you so many verses in one week. You got plenty to talk about, right? Come on, people want to know. They want to learn. Here's one that's not so encouraging. I don't see much difference in the way Christians live compared to others. Ouch. Now, I think there's a, there's a reality here. Because we're real people with real problems. And we don't want to pretend that we don't. This is where it gets dangerous. Don't fake it. Don't fake it. But you run into somebody that thinks about this and says, your life isn't any different than mine. And you say, no, you're right. I, I have a lot of issues. I got problems. I make mistakes. I've made huge mistakes. I have bad days. But deep down I have this, the gospel. A hope that goes beyond this life. Something greater. So you might not see it in my everyday actions, and I'm sorry for that. But I'm a, I'm a regular guy just like you. Because you know what? That's just the truth. We have the gospel. We're transformed. We have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's all exceptional stuff. But we're still trapped in this body. And it doesn't always get it right, does it? I don't want to fake being different. I just want to really live different. Actually, authentically. To be what? A witness. Who are you talking to? Oh, I want to read the quote about this. Oops, I just shut it off, I think. Whoa, look at that. 
fixed it. All right, I want to read the quote about that one first. I don't see much of a difference in the way Christians live compared to others. Here's the quote. I really can't tell what a Christian believes because he doesn't seem much different than other people I know. The only exception would be Mormons. I really, they really seem to take their beliefs seriously. Perception is reality for people. Perceptions might not always be true, but a person's perception is their reality. That's really what they think. That's really how they see it. That's their interpretation. I want to go back and read the quote from the one, I would like to learn more about the Bible from a Christian. I forgot to read that to you, but I want you to hear it. The Bible really fascinates me. But I don't want to go to a stuffy and legalistic church to learn about it. It would be nice if a Christian invited me to study the Bible in his home or in a place like Starbucks. Novel idea. Come on! Here's another one that he ran into regularly. I wish I could learn to be a better husband, wife, dad, mom, etc. from a Christian. And here's the quote. My wife is threatening to divorce me, and I think she means it this time. My neighbor is a Christian, and he seems to have it together, and I'm swallowing my pride and going to ask him to help me. Come on. We have hope. We can overcome the challenges of this life, not because we're brilliant and good-looking, right? But because we have Jesus. Because we have forgiveness. And because we have that forgiveness, we have a greater capacity to forgive. We have a greater capacity to have grace than the average person that doesn't have Jesus in their lives. Come on. Who are we talking to? Are we talking to these people that are struggling that don't yet know Christ? Our coworker that we maybe know, we maybe we know their marriage is on the rocks. Can I help you somehow? Somebody in our family or in our world, some connection somewhere, are we looking for those opportunities to recognize that we can bring something fresh, life-giving into their lives? Even if it's just a gracious voice. It just starts right there. Make the connection. Start to build the relationship. Mark chapter 6, verse 34. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. What did Jesus have on all of these people that probably would have drove you and I nuts? Compassion. He had compassion on them. And you know what his response to his compassion was? He began to teach them. He stepped into their lives. Jesus stepped into your life when you didn't deserve it. Jesus stepped into your life, you never earned it. Jesus met us where we were. Can we meet others where they are? No matter what? No matter what, can we bring the love of Christ into someone's life? It isn't easy, it's hard. But it's our mission. It is a prerogative, a have to do it. We are his witnesses. Every single one of us that believe, we are his witnesses. Jude one twenty two, And have mercy on those who doubt. What? There's no room for doubt. You can't doubt. 
I don't want to talk to you if you have any kind of questions about God. It is, and that's the way it is. How, how well does that work for being a witness? And you're contradicting the Bible. Have mercy on those who doubt. Yes, do we want to overcome our doubts and grow in our faith? Absolutely, we need to. And what are we called to do? Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Does this mean literally pulling people out of fire? No, I just want to be sure we're all clear on that. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So he's like, yes, don't engage and love worldly things and fleshly things, but you got to grab people. you got to snatch them out of the fire. you got to be reaching into it. you got to be in touch with it. you got to know what's going on. Do so with mercy. Having mercy for people. And I wonder when we look at the world around us and the people around us that are suffering and the people we should be talking to, and I wonder if we just lack mercy. Ah, they get what they deserve. They made all those dumb mistakes. I'm so tired of dealing with that attitude, etc., etc., etc. All of our excuses. The Bible says, have mercy. Have mercy. Here's another observation Rainer had in his study. I got two of these left for you. Some Christians try to act like they have no problems. And here's the quote Harriet works in my department. She is one of those Christians who seem to have a mask on. I would respect her more if she didn't put on such an act. I know better. People smell fake from a mile away, and none of us like it. Don't be a fraud. Don't put on a mask. Yeah, we don't. We just don't show up here on Sunday and air out all of our dirty laundry. I mean, it, yeah, there, there's you know there's conduct and things like that, but don't be fake. It's one of our. It's at the top of our list of values here. When I talk to newer people in our congregation about our values, is authenticity. It has to absolutely be real. People have to know that you're a real person. You have to be real before God. We all have problems and issues, right? Let's not fake it. Because when we're out in the world doing that, this is what that's what they see. Dude, you're, you're just, let's not be fake. In all of our interactions, let's be human. Let's be real people with real lives. Sometimes we can overreact to that. We want to be wise about how we do it. But let's not, let's, not be the, let's not be the type of believers where people say, you just put a mask on and pretend you have it all together. Because if every one of us in this room were honest, we don't have it all together. Or if you do, you can preach next week and we'll learn from you. How's that? None of us do. Come on. We're Christians. We're little Christ. We have a message of hope and we're messed up people. And for whatever reason, God chose to use messed up people to do the dirty work here on earth. He's like, come on, be my witnesses. Testify to what I have done for you. To people that don't yet believe. Bring that hope, that good news, that gospel. But when we, when, if we try and put on the shoes of people in the world looking at the church and looking at Christians, what are they seeing? And a lot of what they see, they actually saw. And that's what's sad. And yeah, we're going to screw it up sometimes. We're going to make mistakes. But let's not let that be our identity or how the world perceives us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of, oh, there it is again, mercies. 
and God of all comfort. We talked last week about our Father God in heaven, that we come in the name of His Son, that He's a loving Father, and that can always be such a difficult image for us to to see. But here is another passage of Scripture reinforcing God as the loving Father right here. He's the God of all comfort. Comfort is not a Christian thing. Yes, it is. Your Heavenly Father wants to comfort you in your grief, in your hurting, in your brokenness, in your failures. He wants to comfort you. He's the God of all comfort. So let's keep reading. The Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So you have received this comfort from God through this gospel that he's nurtured your soul along through your brokenness and difficulty. And then he turns you around to the person next to you that needs comfort. There's so many people out there that are looking for answers to the soul level pain they're dealing with in those scars. And what do we have? The God of all comfort. Come on. This is a mission worth living. It's exciting. It's transformative. And it's the only real solution in the world. It is the only real solution. Last one that he observed. I wish a Christian would take me to his or her church. Can you believe that? Let's read the quote. I really would like to visit a church, but I'm not particularly comfortable going by myself. What is weird is that I am 32 years old and have never had a Christian invite me to church in my entire life. Come on. I think we need to invite somebody to church. Need to get my southern accent worked out. (laughs) Y'all invite someone to church, you hear? (laughs) All right, come back next week. There'll be better jokes. Huh? That was bad. But here's the thing. Are we... Are we inviting people to be a part of our world? I mean, okay, so we have moderately lively worship. You scared to bring somebody in here because they might see somebody lift their hands and worship? Come on. People know what's real. Are you scared JR is going to scare them off with his preaching? Hey, maybe, but that... The word of God goes out and does exactly what it's supposed to do. We should not be intimidated to invite people. This is a great community. Who wouldn't want to be a part of you guys? But nobody's ever going to come if you don't invite them. Are you inviting people into your world, into your life? People that need hope, people that need comfort. We are his witnesses. We're witnessing to this. Who are you talking to? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's good news. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they supposed to believe in someone they've never heard about? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? 
And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. We are sent. Apostello. The apostolic work. We are sent. We are commissioned to bring this good news to those who have never heard. Do we really have the right to withhold that to ourselves? And not give it to those around us that need it? Who need comfort? I'm asking myself this question. I'm asking you today. Who are you talking to? Are there relationships in your life that you can foster healthy communication? This isn't about salesmanship. It isn't about convincing about a moral or ethical code. This is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Where a sacrifice was made so that you can begin that journey. We talked about this last week. But the, the non-Christian perception is that Christian... There's another study that I was reading. There was a uh, professor, plumber, he's out of Cairn University. And he teaches apologetics. And he has his students go out and ask questions of non-believers. And one of the most significant results that they saw is that people perceive that Christianity, or their perception is, that Christianity is about a moral and ethical code that you follow. Now you might go, well, there there is moral and ethical things. Yes, but that's not the gospel. Because the the problem with that imagery is that it says you need to get your act together and get your moral and ethical code in line before you can have a relationship with God. You can't do that. It doesn't work that way. That's not good news. That's bad news. The good news is that Jesus Christ made a way for you to have a relationship with him and he will begin to transform your heart and your mind and those moral and ethical things all come later as a part of your journey and your walk with him. We have to be very careful that the non-Christians in our life don't walk away going, I can never be good enough for that God. The apex, the point, the pivotal thing, the most important fundamental component of the gospel is not our traditions, it's not our meetings, it's not our moral and ethical codes. It's Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected, a salvation by faith. We have to keep that priority right. Who are you talking to? If you're afraid to talk to people about it, start wrestling with yourself on that. Find find how you fit in that equation. You know, you're, I talk to people from here. That's that's part of what I do. I have other circles that I I I play pinochle with a group of people about every two weeks. By the way, I need more pinochle players if you do play pinochle during the weekday. Oh, there's some non-believers there sometimes. There's good interaction. End up building some relationships. There are all kinds of places you go to the gym. You're part of some club or some social thing. Not that you come in there like a salesman, fake with all the answers, but real life relationships, authenticity, good news, etc. You have something to bring. You are empowered, as we saw in the first scripture today. You will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Would you stand with me, please, this morning? I hope I made you uncomfortable, but not too uncomfortable, but sorry, not sorry. These are real issues we've got to wrestle with. Who are we talking to? I just read a, was reading in a poll this week 
one that I use regularly called the Unstuck Report. Church attendance from this is not COVID. This is after COVID. 2021 to 2022 is down 28 percent. That's almost a third. Almost a third. People do not see the value of Christianity or being a part of the Christian community. Fortunately, that hasn't been our experience. But that's true for a lot of people. And it tells us something about who we're not reaching. I look around the world, where are the fastest growing churches in the world? Not in the free country. In China and Iran. And most of the churches in Iran are led by women. Fastest growing church in the world. What? I have to be honest, I'm just slightly embarrassed. Because I have all the freedom in the world. I'm going to tell you one other story. I have to wrap up. But I was in Greece at a conference with church leaders all over the world several years ago. And a guy came up to me and he said, it's really easy to to plant a church in the U.S., isn't it? And that bothered me on so many levels. And I wanted to argue and say, no, it's difficult. People are, Americans are a pain. <laughs> it's like, wait, you live in a, in, a, in a place that calls itself a Christian nation and it's difficult for you to get people to come to church and plant churches? What? I'm kind of going, ooh, that stings. What, what, what are, there's, there's so many levels of that that were uncomfortable for me. And I'm like, nobody has, a, nobody has it easier than you and I do to preach the gospel in their nation. Nobody. And I'm not, that's not hyperbole. That's not exaggeration. There is no other nation in the world where you have more freedom to talk to people about what you believe. And I think there's no reason we shouldn't be growing like crazy because we have good news. We have hope. And we can't, just because things are polarized and, hey, you can't reach people you hate, okay? You cannot reach people you hate. We've got to lay down some of those things and get back to the core of what the church is supposed to be about, which is reaching people, making disciples, bringing that hope of the gospel. Are you with me? All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. God, thank you for the motivation. (laughs) You motivated me in this message. And I was so encouraged going through the process. And God, I pray that encouragement would go into everyone that hears today. Lord, that we would be motivated about what you're doing in other people's lives. That instead of being selfish and insecure, that we would look for opportunities to bring good news. Hey, we're... We're not always the most articulate. We don't have all the answers. We don't know everything maybe we think we need to know to talk to somebody. But God, we know that we're empowered by your spirit, that you're right there with us. Lord, one of the things I read this week is that one of the questions was, what would convince you that there really is a God? And and the majority of the answer was that I would have an experience with him. We can bring that experience, that relationship that we have with you through prayer, through teaching, through comfort, through encouragement. Father, help us all to be aware of the people around us that you're trying to reach. In Jesus' name, amen.